We're doing a series on our glorious future. This is the sixth part. I keep thinking the next one will be the last one, but I know, I really believe next week, not this week, will be our last one. Because every time I'll, the Lord gives me a sermon and prepare, and I think, oh, but there's so much more uh, about our glorious future. So we'll, we'll, I believe it's going to be today, and then next week we'll wrap it up. I pray it's been an encouragement to you. I, I know it's been an encouragement to me that what we have in Christ is so much better and what we have in Christ is eternal and what we have in Christ for the most part is, is ahead of us. Is ahead of us and lies ahead of us. I want you to read with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 6. We'll start in verse 20. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's very similar to what we read in Matthew. But let's read it from Luke 6.20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast, you, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did, they, did their fathers unto the prophets. And so, this is just a passage. We could pretty much close your eyes and pick a page in the Bible, almost, I would say. And it's something that speaks about what we have in Christ is better ahead. That in this earth, in this earthly life, we're going to go through something. But it's going to end one day. The, the torment, the heart, the difficulties, the adversities are going to end. And the Lord uses in those um, four, four verses that we read in Luke 6, four times He uses the word blessed. And then He ends it all by saying leap for joy. Okay? Leap, rejoice and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great. Where? In heaven. It's great in heaven. So I know we're still focusing on the same point, but y'all, we this is something I believe the Lord would have me and have us to really lay hold on. If I ask a believer, will you die when you die, where will you go? I'm going to heaven. It's going to be wonderful. But how much does it um, influence me now? How much does it affect the way I live now? How much does it um, Encourage me, and that word "encourage" is not just oh, you know, keep your chin up kind of thing. And the the Holy Ghost is our comforter, our encourager, and he, it means to put courage into. The word "encourage" gives a picture of the Lord drawn alongside of you. You're carrying a heavy load, and the Lord drawn alongside of you and helping you and encourage you. Say, we're almost finished. You, you've almost got it. I know, you know. And, and you know the, the feeling, if you're ever working on a job, a hard job, it's going to be a long job, and you're rolling your sleeves up, and this isn't going to end in five minutes. And all of a sudden, five people show up and say, we're going to help you today. We're going to help you. It, the work might not be that much easier, but it sure is a lot more uh, encouragement to have someone step alongside. It, it, that's, that's a reality. And I pray that the Lord's given us so many scriptures about our glorious future. 
He said, you're hated now. You're persecuted now. But look, that's going to end. Great is your reward, not on this earth. We'll talk about the blessings we do have in this life. But without question, most of what's for us lies ahead of us. Great is your reward in heaven. And y'all, it's only great. Our, our future the theme is our glorious future. Our future is only glorious and great and wonderful and, and exciting and something that we would hope for because of Christ. Because of Jesus Christ himself. Our rewards, our blessings are great in heaven. And y'all, so many people, and it can be the temptation for us as well as believers. This is why we have to keep coming back, meditating on God's word, getting our, our spiritual uh, head right, so to speak, and get our heads straight a little bit. It can be our temptation as well. But so many in the world are looking for all of their joy, all of their everything their rewards, their, their everything, their payback, their payday. They're looking for it all today in the here and now. And Moses, and I can't help but keep going back to him because we've studied the life of Moses on Wednesday nights in this church for, for months and months. And then we, you know, we started in Hebrews in our study of Moses rather than the Old Testament because it gives us a, a summary. It says by faith, that Moses endured, right? As seeing him was invisible and he made a choice. He made a choice, basically he was saying the prime of his life when he could have stepped in and been maybe the next Pharaoh uh, and had all the treasures and riches of Egypt for his dis at his disposal. And he said, the Bible says that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than in to enjoy the pleasures of sin for how long? For a season. So many are choosing the pleasures of sin for a season. And we can we can have the same temptations. We need to be careful. We need to watch it. He chose rather to, to uh, suffer reproach with the people of God. He said he esteemed the riches of Christ, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And the only way he did that was by faith. He was able to see it. God showed it to him. We've talked about this scripture in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Even lost men, they have some sense from the Lord of right and wrong. They have some sense of accountability to God. Like I said, your conscience can become hardened through sin and, and disregarding the, the unction of the Holy Spirit and so forth. But God put it in there. A knowledge of eternity that there is more than this life. People know it. And, and they might choose to, to willingly walk in a blindness to that truth. But God has put it there. And so, so many people like the prodigal son, he's such a great example of that. When he got to some age of adulthood, a young man, he's got an older brother, the prodigal son says to his father, Father, I want all my inheritance now. I want it right now today. I don't want to wait till you die and I'm too old to enjoy it or whatever. Give me my inheritance now. There's a rebellion to that. There's an unthankfulness to that. And there's also just the selfishness, the, the, the flesh. I just want it now. I don't feel like waiting. And so he, his father gave him his inheritance now. And he, before long, it didn't take him long at all. He wasted it. Didn't invest it. Didn't use it wisely. Didn't use it to help other people. Didn't use it to even build a good future for himself. He wasted it all on riotous living. He's in a far country. There's a famine. Nobody's helping him out. He doesn't have a friend in the world. His friends went, or were gone as quick as his money was gone. And now he finds himself in this situation and he's starving to death. 
and feeding pigs and eating the pig food because he was so hungry. He came to himself. Hallelujah. He came to himself. I know what I'll do. I'll go back. I say, I've sinned against you, Father, and I've sinned against God in heaven. I'll just come back and be happy to be one of your servants. Your servants have it better off than I've had it lately. And so, but, but that's just a picture of wanting things now. I want it now. And God is teaching us, and we have to learn it. Amen? Part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It might be one of the hardest parts to learn. But it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And the Lord develops fruit. We bear fruit. It doesn't come, you, you had none, and the next day you have a full fruit of patience. It, it's something He works in us. And He works in it through trials and adversities and waiting for things and trusting God while we wait, not being miserable while we wait. Because our future is glorious. And it's glorious in Jesus Christ, and that's the only reason it's glorious. It's going to be magnificent because of Jesus Christ, because He'll be there, because He's with us now, because of what He has purchased for us. The Lord purchased us, but He also purchased something for us. The Bible says He purchased eternal redemption for us. He bought it for us with His own life's blood. The highest penalty and the highest price that could be paid, He paid it. Say, now, you could never pay this for yourself, but I paid it for you and for the sins of the world. And I purchased for you eternal. Think about how many times today in the Bible as well that we're going to talk about the word eternal, that he purchased eternal redemption for us. It's because what he's done for us It's because what he's made us. The Bible, let me tell you, just a short list of some things that the Lord has made us in Christ. I don't care if you got saved five minutes ago and you've borne zero fruit because you just got saved and hadn't had time to bear fruit in your life. The Bible says He has made us kings and priests unto our God by the blood of Jesus. Kings and priests. Somebody's a cafeteria worker. Somebody's a janitor worker. You know, somebody's a... Uh, uh, whatever. Hated by their friends. Hated by their family. And yet we are all of us kings and priests unto our God. We are that because the Lord has made us that he's made us new creations. He's made us heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So you think about it. A man's got two sons. They're co-equals and he's wealthy. And when they when he dies, they're each getting the whole thing, each getting half of it. We are joint heirs with Jesus. It's hard to. To comprehend that seems like he could just give us a lot of blessings and it would suffice. But he says, I'm making you joint heirs with my son. That's what it says in Romans. We're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. So it's like we're not the Lord, but he's made us co-equals in this inheritance of all that he has for us in the future. It's our future is glorious because of what he has promised for us and what he is preparing for us. And y'all, we remember this. We have to remember this, that he is Hebrews eleven six. He is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He rewards that you go through life and you think, you know, I don't see a lot of the rewards. But he just told us in Luke six, great is your reward in heaven. Doesn't mean he doesn't bless us now, but it's minuscule, I think, compared to what he keeps telling us about that's coming in the future we got to hang in there by faith. 
And we're not just grinding it out miserable until we get to heaven. God gives us joy for the journey. Amen. He gives us joy and peace for the journey. But uh, it's, it's glorious because of what He's promised us and prepared for us and because He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He's not going to forget your reward and your service to God and your commitment to the Lord. It has nothing to do with our perfection. It has everything to do with our commitment to Christ. And I'm seeking, to, I'm seeking Him with all of my heart. I'm seeking to follow hard after Him. And I have no gods before Him. I'm serving the Lord. We'll have sins along the way. And we'll have times where we fail the Lord along the way. But, but yet, it has everything to do with us keeping our eyes upon the Lord and putting Him first. And nothing's going to take my love for Jesus. Nothing's going to take me off to some worshiping something else. Not, nothing's going to cause me to turn my back on Jesus. And He helps us. But the Bible says, we quote this, in this through this whole series, but Jesus said, um, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? I'm going to prepare a place for you. Preparing. I'm going. It's something future. It's something He's... Maybe it's already for us now. I don't know. But it lies ahead for us because He has gone to prepare for us. I'm going to read a couple of Scriptures. I'll just read them. I'll tell you where I'm, uh, the, the Scripture notations. 1 Peter 3. I'm sorry. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, as future, an inheritance incorruptible. Our inheritance is incorruptible. Every, every inheritance that somebody leaves here, somebody very wealthy like, you know, Bill Gates or something, all that he would leave it to, all of the, the inheritance, whoever's going to inherit that, it's going to corrupt. It's going to corrupt. But our Christ has saved us to a living hope and is to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. The Bible talks about, uh, I'll just read this from Romans 8, 21 and verse 23, because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's future for us. We're born again now, but there is something still and I would say much still ahead as that is going to be part of our salvation. We're saved, but there's much ahead that, boy, you don't know the half of it. What, what your salvation, the goodness that's going to come to your life, the blessings that are going to come to your life, the unspeakable things that are going to happen to your life because you're in Christ, my son. And part of that, we're going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. That's future for us, right? I don't think anybody here has got a glorified body yet. That, that has not happened yet. All right? That's why we have prayer for the sick every Sunday night. And, uh, and we need it. Hallelujah. Uh, but that lies ahead for us. And men, you know, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I just want to talk about what we have in Jesus now and everything we have in Jesus now, we have in Jesus now and forever. It's not like, you know, we, we, we bought, we're leasing a car and we got a, a pretty new car for, 
five years and then the lease is over and your car's kind of gotten old. Everything we have in Jesus, the things that we have now, we have now, and we will have forever. Forever. They'll never end. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us now, but nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Death. Death is nothing. Death to, to depart and be with Christ is far better. You understand what I'm saying? It, everything we have in Jesus, we have, and we have it forever. Plus, there's more coming that he has for us in the future. Let's just talk about men as a whole, mankind. People that know the, don't know the Lord, for example. Men seek a place. They seek a position. They seek status. They want to get to a certain place in life. Not a physical place necessarily, but a, a certain or specific goal that they have in mind for their lives. And nothing wrong with all of that. But men seek a place. They seek a position. They seek a name for themselves. Uh, they, they seek uh, more. And we have a place in Christ now. We're, our place is in Christ Jesus. That's where we are. If this building burnt down or we were persecuted and scattered and, and forbidden to meet you know, publicly like this anymore, we still have a place in Christ. That's never taken from us. You understand what I'm saying? The, the, if we're, we're thrown into prison for serving Jesus, we still have a place. And he's going to prepare a place for us. He says specifically a mansion for us in glory. But men seek, uh, men seek so many different things in this life, but we have in Christ a place and we have a home eternal in the heavens, the Bible says. Eternal in the heavens. Those all in Hebrews 11, and we, those nameless ones that we don't know their names, they're known to God. We know about Joshua and Caleb and Enoch and, and Moses and so forth. But there are all these others that we don't know their names that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. And it says they, they were seeking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So while they were on this planet with their feet on the same earth that we're standing on now, their heart was in heaven. They were fixed upon it. They were persuaded of it, the promises of God. Just like Moses, how did he see all these things of heaven and esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in, in Egypt? He saw it by faith. And it was so real to him that he laid hold on it. And it affected the way he lived the rest of his life. And it ought to affect the way we live our lives. But we have a city whose builder and maker is God. Men seek peace. They seek true peace. Even lost people want peace, right? They want peace as far as wars to stop or they want peace in their home or in their relationships and so forth. And we have peace now. True peace in our hearts. Because the Bible says, therefore being justified by faith with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a peace that He gives us. And He says, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto thee. My peace I give unto thee and leave with you, he says. Men seek after justice and equity and fairness and righteousness. And we have that in Jesus Christ now. And he will be our God and he will be just and righteous and equitable and fair forever. We talked about the millennial kingdom last, last week. He will be that way for that thousand year period. He'll be that for the 
eternity of eternities afterwards. That's the God that we serve. His Bible says in righteousness, he does judge and make war. That's our God. Okay, men seek after true and lasting joy, as we mentioned earlier. They seek after it. So they, they seek after it and and uh, maybe uh, spending their money on on lavish things. If I can get a little more money and get that car that I want or get that home or be able to take all the vacations I want. And I love all those things are wonderful. Not, nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But those things are not going to satisfy the heart of man. They never will. They never will. So the sooner we understand that, the sooner we'll say, well, what is going to satisfy me? Even as Christians, sometimes we forget the joy of the Lord is my strength. He gives us that joy and has nothing to do with our status in life or our or material, uh, you know, uh, material blessings and so forth. But men seek after that heartfelt joy. And the Bible says in Christ, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the Bible says in the new in the millennium that, that he'll wipe away all the tears from our eyes. So not only do we have the joy of the Lord now in the midst of ter- you know, hard circumstances, it's eternally that way. He will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more sorrow and so forth. He's going to take that away. That's what the Bible says. Do we believe it or not? That's the question. And do we, we believe it enough to where it's affecting our hearts and lives now? Men seek after... Men seek after life, an eternal life, an abundant life. Some of the early explorers that came from Europe over here, they were seeking, I forget, I forgot which one, maybe Ponce de Leon was looking for the fountain of youth, right? Looking for the fountain of youth. They believed why, that people would do anything to get a drink of water from that fountain to renew their youth again. And yet we have life eternal, abundant, and free right now in Jesus. And we've already talked about the new bodies we'll get one day that'll be youthful, eternally youthful and healthy and whole and well. Uh, there, the Bible says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. It has to do with eternal life. I just want to read this from uh, as part of the millennial reign in Revelation 21, 4. It says, uh, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Okay, after that point, there's no more death. No, no physical, like we're going to die one day or be raptured. One of the two, all right? No more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. We can't even imagine that. We really can't even imagine. No more pain for the former things are passed away. Y'all, we have a glorious future. Men seek after true, unselfish love. True love. Not the kind that they'll love me if you know if you do this for me, I'll love you. You quit doing that for me, uh, you know, uh, and I quit loving you. That's not true love. Men seek after that, even if they don't put that into words. They're seeking after that from somebody. Somebody that will love them for just who, who they are, so to speak, and love unconditionally. That only comes from God, though. It doesn't come anywhere else. You won't find your soulmate out there. You're going to find this kind of love. Yes, I believe He's got someone for everyone as far as a spouse. My point is that true love is going to only come from the Lord. 
that kind of love. He can love through another person, but it's God loving through them. Amen? Men seek after that. And, and the Bible says that He is the lover of our souls and He has loved His own. He's speaking of Israel here, but still, He says, with an everlasting love. So it's not only He loves me now, it's an everlasting love. And I just want us to keep thinking about we have it in Jesus now and we'll have it forever. You go on a vacation, it's been a dream vacation. And, you know, it, it seems like you're waiting for a year to actually go on it. And that time passes slowly. But when you're on the trip, it's all passing too quick. Oh, man, it's going to be over tomorrow. Tomorrow, we got to st- start packing up tonight and actually clean out the condo tonight and get ready to leave first thing in the morning. And it, where did it go? It, it was like it blew by so quick. But everything we have in Jesus is just going on forever. It's just going, everything that we can't even imagine is so wonderful is going to go on forever in Christ. And, and God wants us to be encouraged by that. Our heads are not stuck in the clouds. We're not oblivious to the world or souls around us or responsibilities that we have. I think Christians are the best parents. The Christians are the best workers and, and employers and so forth. We ought to be. We're totally aware of what's going on around us. We ought to love our country. We ought to pray for our country. All that, but we need to be persuaded like these saints of God were. That's where I'm really going. I can make it through another day or even a worse day because that's where I'm going. And I could be going there before I take my next breath. That's why the rapture of the church and the imminent rapture of the church is a blessed hope of the people of God. Amen? Men seek after a true and right relationship with God. They do not know that, but they know there's something more, I said, than just this life. They know that there's somewhere in their hearts and in their conscience they're aware and men seek after. That's why people go into uh, drug-induced, you know, whatever, psychedelic things, and people are seeking God uh, on all, in all these different manners and ways. I don't ridicule their... They're looking for something. They're looking for something more than what they have or some kind of relationship with this, quote, higher being than what they have now. And yet we have that relationship with our God and creator now, right now. Jesus said, um, these, he says, he, he that whosoever loves me will keep my words and my father will love him. And we will come and make our abode with him. Think about that. People seeking after God and they're going to go through this priest or this guru or this, somehow to find this latest book, this seance, this whatever, to, to find this deity. And yet he says, if a man loves me, he'll keep my words and my father will love him. We will come make our dwelling place with him. And John 14 we're going to dwell that God Almighty is going to make His dwelling place. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I don't have to seek anymore. I want to seek to know Him more, but I don't have to seek to find Him. I found Him. He's found me. However you want to put it. Um, but we belong to Him. And I'll read this as well from Revelation 22. This is our future. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servant shall serve Him. So in the New Jerusalem, the throne of God will be there. 
He won't be in heaven and we're here. And, and, it, and I know he's with us now by his Holy Spirit. But the throne of God will be on the earth in the New Jerusalem. A new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And the servants of God will serve him. He will dwell among them and shall be their God. And they shall be his people. That's part of our glorious future. Men are seeking after that. And my point is that we have all these blessings in Christ now. And we're assured of them even to a greater extent in the future. For the child of God, the one who's been born uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in him, the abundance of all that we have in Christ lies ahead of us. The abundance of it lies ahead of us. We're blessed beyond measure by our God now, but most of what's ours is ahead. And we will experience it fully. I have not experienced yet. uh, There shall be no more pain. You understand what I'm saying? But but we will. No more sorrow. Have you experienced that? There's no more sorrow in in your life anymore. God can give us peace and joy in the midst of our trials. But the point is, in that new creation that we'll be part of, there'll be no more sorrow no more pain. He will himself will wipe the tears away and on and on. So most of it lies ahead of us as we read from 1 Peter, reserved in heaven for you. Now I want to talk about that word reserved for just a minute. So think about it. We have part of our salvation. You know, we, we talked about this before. The day you pray, sincerely pray to give your life to Christ, you were saved. You and I, when we prayed that prayer and we meant it and we understood it, and repented and turned to Jesus. It might be the simplest little prayer of a child, but it was genuine. The Bible says in John 5 that we passed from death to life. There's no more condemnation, uh, but we've passed from death to life. So that already took place. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're saved, you have eternal life now. And yet, there's, we're being saved so you could say I was saved at such and such a time. It's, it's appropriate to say that. But also we're being saved because God is preserving us. He's keeping us as a, as a holy people unto himself. Even when we stumble and fall, he's keeping us in Christ and keeping us on towards what he has for us. And what he has for us would be like the consummation or the complete completion of our salvation, which includes the redemption of our bodies. Okay? So we were saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be saved in a sense. If you died right now, you belong to Jesus, you're going to heaven. You're as saved as you'll ever be, but there's more to our salvation that God is doing presently and going to do for us in the future is the point. And so the word reserved, when Peter says, unto salvation reserved in heaven for you. Reserved It means to guard from injury or loss. So who is doing that for me? Who has something for you and for me in heaven? And they're guarding it in heaven. Say, I'm keeping this for Damon and Katie. You know, I'm keeping this for for Dee and for Chris. I'm, I'm guarding it. The Lord's doing that. He has reserved it in heaven for us to guard from injury or loss, to preserve, to hold fast. And this is why, and it's in heaven for us, 
This is why we're told, and Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. He's not suggesting it. He's telling you, if you're a child of God, listen, you're wasting your time. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Why? Well, the earth is where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Again, I'm not advocating being poor. I'm not saying it's a sin to have nice things. I'm saying where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Have your heart fixed upon the Lord. And we got to watch it because when we start accumulating a lot of things, sometimes we, without it would never be our intention. Our heart can be drawn away with those things. Okay? Or with our status or reputation or whatever it may be. But he, what he has is reserved in heaven for us where moth doesn't corrupt and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. They don't. God is guarding for us in heaven what he has for us in heaven. And we're able to know the Lord now, walk with the Lord now, have intimate communion with the Lord now. Praise God, we can. But there's so much more. Without question, the greatest lies ahead for the redeemed of the Lord. It lies ahead of us. And so we're sealed, for example, with the Holy Spirit now. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'll read this. Who hath sealed, also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit. For 2 Corinthians 1.22 Given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And so you know what the earnest is? It means the intense anticipation. Intense anticipation or expectation. God, by His Holy Spirit, that's the only way He can, he can do it. Okay? He seals us. And in, in one sense, you can say we're, we're born again, we're sealed and we're like preserved in the Lord. Okay? We are sealed, even though we're still on this sinful, dark planet. But yet, he's, he's given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, the Bible says. The earnest, the joyful anticipation, intense anticipation, expectation. And one of the reasons the Lord gave me, I believe, this whole series for our church and for myself as well, and, and we'll hit on it a little bit more next week, is that so much of the church world is, is, has abandoned this belief of an actual millennium, of an actual rapture, of a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, all of it, for some reason, it just all gets really blurry after the after the resurrection of Jesus, any of the future talk, any of the future promises, they took this other stuff, I'm assuming literally in the Bible, maybe they didn't, and then they get to the future and it all just gets this big, blurry, vague, well, we're in the millennium now, and the millennium's not actually a thousand years. Wait a minute, I just read about the lion and the lamb laying down together and they're going to beat their, their swords into plowshares uh, and they're not going to know war. They're not going to make war anymore. Well, we're not there. Don't tell me we're in the millennium right now. Is Christ reigning in his throne in Jerusalem and so forth? Is that literal or is it not? There's nothing that tells me it's not. So if it doesn't tell me it's not, it's not a parable. It's not flowery or a figure, figure of speech. Then I'm to take it literally. Just like Noah and the ark. Just like a literal six day creation. And God rested on the seventh. I'm going to believe it or I'm not going to believe it. And, and in this day in which we live, the prevalent, okay, the majority view in Christianity, I'm not saying everybody's born again, but the majority view in Christianity is that of, 
amillennial or postmillennial. And they're both so similar, they almost don't need to be distinguished from one another. No real rapture. Maybe there's one, maybe there's not. But basically the thought is we're going to get earth ready and we're going to Christianize it and get everything ready and then Jesus will come back. We're in the millennium now. It's just a figure of speech. Christ is reigning in the hearts of men by grace. Well, He is reigning in the hearts of men by grace. But that's not the millennium. The millennium is a kingdom on the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We're praying for that kingdom. And He gives it to us six times in the first five verses, I think, of Revelation chapter 20. Six times He uses the phrase a thousand years. One thousand years. He doesn't just say this prolonged period of time. You understand what I'm saying? We need to... And, and, and that, what my point is that, is that sometimes if we give heed to that, we're going to lose that hope. The hope that He wants us to have is taken from us. And it doesn't have to be. We, we need to think on these things and hang on to these things and we need to know it so we're confident. Say, well, how do I know the millennials start right? You know, how do I know the pre-trip raptures are right? Like Pastor Randy, how do I know who's right? Well, we're studying it. We're looking at scriptures. We're looking at the Word of God. If you, if you need more, we'll teach it more. If you need more yourself, go, go study it more. But this is what the Word of God teaches, not because I say so, but it's because the Word of God. We're looking at a lot of scriptures. And again, six times in about five verses of Revelation 20, He's talking about a thousand years. And they shall reign with Christ a thousand years. And Satan will be bound in his pit for a thousand years. Then after the thousand years are over, he'll be loosed for a little season. You see, you see he's talking about words have meanings. You can't just spiritualize whatever you want because it fits your agenda. And so it wasn't my choice. I'm glad it is a pre-trib rapture. And I'm glad it is uh, a millennium that's real. I'm very thankful for that. But it, I didn't write that. I didn't make that up. This is what the Word of God teaches. And so, so much of this, if, if, we don't, if we're not careful, be careful who you listen to. I don't claim to be, please understand, I don't claim to be the only pastor that's worth listening to. This is not a little shepherd movement where, where you understand what I'm saying? This is not what that is about. We have the Word of God. There's the priesthood of the believer. You find out for yourself. And you make sure and hold me accountable to preach the truth. And I want to hold you accountable. And if you're teaching Sunday school, they're teaching little kids in there, we want to hold each other accountable that we're not going different ways. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And we're going to find out. We're going to find out from the Word of God. We're not going to find out because he's been doing it longer or she's been doing it longer or that sister Susie who everybody loves and they've been on a million mission trips and look how many pastors love this guy. He must be right. We're going to find out from the Word of God. Amen. And that's where we're going to stay because there's hope and there's peace and there's joy and all the things we're talking about we find in the Word of the Lord. And everything that we have in Christ, we have now. And then we have so much more to come. And it's forever. I'm just going to be wrapping this up. But we're sealed with the Spirit now. We have this intense earnest in our heart. This intense anticipation in our hearts for what's coming. But we also can be baptized in the Holy Spirit now. And walk in the fullness of that Spirit. 
We are partakers of his divine nature. Guess what? Now. He's made us partakers of his divine nature. Deity. He's made us a partaker. I'm not, I'm not a little junior God. The Holy Ghost lives inside of me. My body is his temple. For as he is, so are we in this world. I am always be a child of God and he'll always be the Lord. I'm not becoming what he is in that sense. He'll be the eternal son of God. But I am part of his family now. I'm a partaker of his divine nature now. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus and through him that loved me right now. But think about this, y'all. Right now on this earth, the Bible also says we're strangers and pilgrims, right? That is taught throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. We're strangers and pilgrims now. Moses was a stranger on this earth and a pilgrim. All those Old Testament saints were looking for a city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, right? We, we, now the Bible says now we see through a glass darkly or dimly. There's a, amount, a certain amount of revelation that we have of the God that we know and we're redeemed by, but there's so much more. Then we'll know Him, the Bible says, even as we're known of Him. That day is coming. We endure now a great fight of afflictions, the Bible says. Now the Bible says we know in part, but then we'll know. The Bible says now that we're hated for His name's sake. doesn't mean every person on this planet, planet hates you. But as a whole in this world, we're hated for his name's sake. All of this will one day end, and it's going to end for the believers from the least little saint who we would, you know, maybe that's us. Maybe that's me. The least little saint of God. It's going to end for us in a glorious triumph. How's it going to end up for us? It's going to end up good. It's going to end up in a glorious triumph. We're hated now, persecuted now, strangers and pilgrims now. And yet, how's it going to end up, God? It's going to end up great. It's going to end up absolutely wonderful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'll, I'm going to try to bring this to a close. But how different that is, the hope of a believer and the mindset of a believer as opposed to those that don't know the Lord or aren't trusting the Lord, maybe. Maybe they're Christians that are not... They're not following hard after the Lord. As I said, even much of the church world is following, is trying to build up their kingdoms here. Trying to build up their kingdoms here. Can I give a, you know, give, bear with me, I'm going to read a couple of quotes uh, from Gary North. Gary North is a prominent, uh, mostly back in the late 80s, uh, all the way through, uh, the Dominion Theology, Okay. I mentioned replacement theology, kingdom now, uh, reconstructionalist. They all have a common theme to them. Okay, amillennialism is one of the themes, uh, and then their disbelief, and, and not only disbelief but a ridicule of the things that we hold to, like the rapture and so forth. Uh, Gary North said this: They deny the rapture, deny any place for national Israel in prophecy and believe that an elite group of overcomers will soon manifest, listen to this, somebody within the church, they believe an elite group of overcomers will soon manifest immortality in their bodies without the resurrection or the second coming. They manifest sons of God, have you heard that? 
Now, there's a scripture that talks about in the manifest sons of God. We read it. That's ahead of us. The glorious liberty and the creature itself is changed and robed with immortality. He, he, the, these, this group of people within the church, I'm putting quotes around it, um, believe that they're an elite group of overcomers who will manifest immortality in their bodies without the rapture, the resurrection of the body, uh, the second coming of the, of the Lord and so forth. And it will be for the purpose not that the Lord's going to come and catch his people away to heaven, as the Bible teaches that we've talked about, but rather that Christ will at that time come back and reign over the earth that in the kingdom that these overcomers have established for the Lord. In other words, we got it ready for you, Jesus. You can come back now. I think what arrogance. Paul couldn't do it. He couldn't establish an earthly kingdom for God. Paul's followers that he personally discipled couldn't do it. The apostles couldn't do it. The first church baptized in the upper room couldn't do it. Men who were a lot greater than me and, and Christians a lot stronger than, than all of us couldn't do it. But this is what they believe. We're going to get it all ready for Jesus. Here's what Gary North says. You can study books about going to heaven in a so-called rapture if that turns you on. Well, by the way, it does turn me on. It does excite me. And I believe it should excite all believers to know that that's a blessed hope for the church. He goes on to say, we want to study the Bible to learn, to live and to love and to bring heaven to earth. And you might say, well, what does it matter? What, what does any of it really matter? All the end times uh, prophecies. It's just... Uh, it's hard to understand. It's hard to discern who's right or wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, ma it, what matters about it. It matters is because it's God's word. And God has told us that. And he wants us to know that. If we speak to our children, we want them to know and understand the things that we've spoken to their life. Not just daddy told me some vague thing about what the chores he wanted me to do or how we're going to live for God or whatever it may be. Uh, one fourth of the Bible roughly deals with end times or last days prophecies. God, it's important to the Lord. He wants us to know his plan. He wants us to know what he's doing and what he's going to do. And we're not just supposed to go through life and say, well, whatever happens, happens. All I need to know is that God loves me. Well, he, this God that loves us wants us to know. And he wants us to walk in it and to be confident in it. And he expects the, the hope of the rapture and all the future things that he has for us planned and prepared for us. He wants that to be a great help and comfort and encouragement to his people now. As we're going through this life, he goes on to say, I'll give some more one more brief quote. Um, he says this, it didn't speak of the rapture. It did not happen. It isn't going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, we pick up the pieces when Israel gets pushed into the sea or converted to Christ. This belief system, he's speaking about the rapture and all that follows it. This belief system dies a fast death. Rest assured, I have a manuscript ready to go when either of these events happens. Again, I believe it's great arrogance. It's great uh, fault on his part and a doctrinal error. And you know, we have to guard against that. We have to stand upon the word of God and stand in the truth of God. It's going to happen 
not just any old way it turns out. It's going to happen exactly the way God says it's going to happen in His Word. It's going to come to pass like He said. And I want to be watching for Him and waiting for Him and serving Him and occupying till He comes. And I want that blessed hope in my heart. Amen? And so I want to close with this thought. The Bible says that Jesus said, and we've referred to it a lot, but he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, in me. Then what is he going to say? In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He says, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. And then he says, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. Words have meanings. Does he mean what he says here? Or is it going to be like the amillennials believe that we are going to Christianize the world and gain such great Christian influence over the world that we subdue it and then we say, we have it all ready for you, Jesus. Come and take over. We can't do that. We need the Lord. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we need the Lord. And we need to believe in the Lord. Y'all, we need to believe in His eternal Word. And I want to encourage you now more than ever to press in, to know God, to know your, the Word of God, to fellowship with like-minded believers, not like-minded in error, but like-minded in the truth. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Praise God, He guides us into all truth. We have His eternal Word. And He says, heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said, but my words will not pass away. That means this heaven and earth are going to pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. And His Word says He's going to rapture His church before a tribulation period starts. It will be a literal seven years, followed by a literal thousand-year millennium, followed by a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem that He brings down from heaven. John said, I saw new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her groom. He didn't say, I made it and brought it down. He said he saw it come down that God had prepared. Believe in the glorious future that he has promised for us and to us. Amen. Believe in almighty God's ability to do it. That's very significant. It might be one thing we have our doctrinal uh, statement checked in all the correct places that we believe God uh, that we believe the word of God and we have our eschatology all lined up properly. But do we believe in our heart that it's actually going to happen? Do we believe in our heart today when we see it looking so contrary to anything good happening? Are we convinced and convicted in our heart of hearts that it's going to happen like God said it's going to happen? That it's going to happen just like the Lord Jesus said it's going to happen. Believe in his power and his ability and faithfulness to actually bring it to pass and actually bring you there. We start off by saying all these blessings and all this glorious future is in Christ Jesus. It's not separated from the Lord. If you're in Christ, even if you just got saved yesterday and five minutes ago and you didn't have time to bear much fruit in your life, if you are in Christ Jesus and washed in His blood, He is going to bring you there. He is going to bring me there. He has the ability to do it. And we're going to trust Him to do it. Amen? And I want to close with this scripture that we've all heard. I know that you know it, but I want to close with this because the Bible says, I, for I have not seen neither ear heard nor ear heard, neither have entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. He has them prepared, but God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Now, He says this, Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. 
To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. We're going to close the service a little bit different this morning. I'm going to sing this song. And uh, it's part of the sermon. This song is part of the sermon. The altar is open now. And I pray that God would minister to your hearts and lives and give us a great encouragement this morning. You come as we sing this song. Best is yet to come.
Savior, now we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.